Welcome to the Sale Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salestreet.org. Paul's prayer. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, this is our prayer. God, and so Holy Spirit, we ask, we, we ask that over the next few minutes, as we spend some time in this, would you just begin to, to really work in our hearts, and would you begin to answer this prayer in our life? God, we look forward to how you're going to work and how you're going to speak, and, and we pray that you would just build up in us a level of faith first to really see this and understand this and have this implemented in our life. God, we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Hope you had a beautiful week. If you would, grab a Bible. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, the passage that I just read was a prayer of Paul the Apostles, not the bishop of barbecue, but Paul the Apostle in verses 14 through 21, and that's going to be what we study and pray here today. Uh, now, there are six chapters in the book of Ephesians, and we're in the last passage of the third chapter, and recognizing where we are is actually important because Paul has laid out his letter really into two parts and with two purposes. Now, the first half, chapters one through three, it's, it's mainly theological, and so he's describing all of these amazing truths for us to know and then to more fully realize, but then in the second half of Ephesians, chapters four through six, it's mostly practical. And so what he wants is for us to now fully realize the gospel so then that we might live according to our new identity, or as he words it in chapter 4, that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Before he shifts to the practical in this next passage, Paul first prays for us here in this passage. Paul's first prayer for us in chapter 1 was for a spiritual illumination, that God would turn on the lights, so to speak, that our hearts might be able to see some things so that we could see this new glorious reality that we're now living in in Christ. And now here, Paul's prayers for us to, to have the spiritual strength in order to embody it. You know, for me, the timing of this passage, kind of like how Paul mentioned a minute ago, um, the timing of this being in this particular passage, I think, was uh, no coincidence this week. God provided with me multiple opportunities to minister to people 
uh, through it. Uh, this last Wednesday, Justin and I were invited to go to the new EDS school and help them with their first See You at the Pole event. Uh, See You at the Pole is this big an international um, prayer event where students um, all around the world, they're, they're, they gather together at their school on the same day, and they're just seeking the Lord in, uh, in prayer. And, uh, and so since it was a private school, it was pretty cool. They got to all come together, and we, we got in a big circle in their car- courtyard, and, uh, and Justin led in a couple songs, and, and then I was able to, to speak, and since the event was about prayer, I was able to speak on this prayer in Ephesians 3. Uh, but then also, again, as was mentioned um, this last week, a longtime member of Sale Street, Mr. Jimmy Nevels, he passed away. But before he died, I was able to go and spend some time with him in the hospital. And on my heart was to minister to him using this passage. And, and I was even able to share this passage uh, a little bit at his funeral because as I visited with him in the hospital, it was really such a unique and interesting blessing for me to see that um, what I'd kind of gone in there to pray for him for, uh, I had begun to see that this was a prayer that had been answered in his life for years. Uh, I've heard several people say recently that this is their favorite passage of scripture. If I remember right, I think Lucas might have even said that last week. And, and while we know that all of scripture is God-breathed and it's good, there really does seem to be something that's special and meaningful and powerful about this particular passage and I think it's because our hearts want this prayer answered by God so desperately and so in our time together I want us to walk through this prayer and as we do I want us to to notice a few things and and as we walk through it I hope this is an encouragement to us but more than that I hope that this would shape the way that we pray and then again as I prayed I hope that we would have the faith to realize that since we're praying God's will from his word, the answer to this prayer is available to all of us today. And so the first thing I want us to notice, notice that Paul is compelled to pray. Paul is compelled to pray. Uh, One thing I shared with the students at EDS was that if we find ourselves not praying regularly, then chances are we've become too arrogant or we've become too clueless to see our daily need for God. Uh, I know for me, um, this, if I look back on my previous week, you know, and I've hardly prayed, um, it's because it's w- for one of those two reasons. Either it's, I look back and I think, well, I've done a pretty good job at being the sovereign Lord of my life, or I just forget sometimes that I have access to the God of the universe who loves me and who wants to reveal himself to me. But the more aware that we are of all these spiritual realities that Paul talks about in Ephesians, the more we are compelled to pray. And so again, Paul is, he's compelled to pray. Look at verse 14. He says, for this reason, there's a reason behind it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so that connects us back to the previous verse where he has just encouraged his readers to not lose heart even though he's in prison even though he's experiencing some difficulty and he's saying I don't want you to lose heart because of all this and so for that reason he's praying but also I want you to look back at chapter 3 verse 1 this is actually where Paul's prayer begins if you look it begins with the same wording it says for this reason 
But then when he mentions that he's a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles, he kind of digresses for a moment. He wants to explain that mystery a little further. He's just so excited about the Gentiles now coming into the body of Christ. He says that now Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's all verse 6. So he takes a moment, he kind of veers off for a second, he unpacks that a little bit more. But if you notice again, that's all of, it's, it's a part of his prayer. That's where he begins. And so now this connects us back to chapter 2. And then even we could connect it also with chapter 1 for good measure. And so in a way to sum it all up about what Paul is compelled to pray for, he's, he says that Paul expands our, our view of, of all that God has done. He says that God not only sent Jesus to be the Savior of Israel, he sent Jesus to be the savior of the whole world. And he is building his church among the nations and all people groups. Like we've talked about before now in Christ, there's no Jew, Gentile, there's no male, female, slave, free, none of those things. He says, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is or what you've done or anything else, if you're in Christ, we all have equal standing before God. But we need God to help us to see this. We need God to help us to believe this. And we need God to help us to live this out. And so he prays for God to do what only he can do. And so I want you to think about it for you. What compels you most to pray? You know, if you're a student, maybe it's, you know, a test comes and it's, oh, God, I need you to come through on this. I don't know the information. I know that I've been there. Or maybe you're a sports fan. Maybe it's when you want your team to win. I've been there too. And I would say that when it comes to some of these, you know, smaller, everyday things of life, I don't necessarily think it's bad to pray for those things, right? Unless you're praying for the Dallas Cowboys to win, then you need to repent. Amen, Paul? Oh, all right. Go Saints, right? So we need to be, God cares about the Saints. We saw that in Ephesians, right? Amen. So... Pray for the saints, otherwise repent. But when it comes to those, some of those normal everyday things of life, like God cares about those things. Those things are fine. Pray about those things. But we need to ask ourselves, are we more compelled to pray by our desire for God's love to be known and for his church to be unified? You know, I told you a couple months ago, and it's kind of hard to believe that it's been a couple months, but I told you that week after week I'd be praying for you by name, and you have been prayed for by name week after week and I've been so encouraged by Paul's prayers in Ephesians because they really now are shaping how I pray for you and I'm going to continue to ask that you would pray for me and so I've realized probably you have too that it's a lot easier to love people after you've spent time praying for them right and so here Paul is compelled to pray but also notice secondly notice the intensity with which he prays Again, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so to us, this seems like a normal posture of prayer. This is a pretty, pretty common thing. We saw Paul do that a minute ago. I bow my knees before the Father. When I was talking to Mr. Jimmy's family, one of his sons was talking about how he remembers time after time looking in his bedroom and seeing his father on his knees on the side of his bed praying. That was a normal thing for him to see. But this wouldn't have been that normal for the Apostle Paul. For them, postures of prayer would have been standing with hands lifted in the air. 
And so here, as he's writing from this Roman prison, he is bowing on his knees. It's just a posture of humility and reverence and intensity. And I think it's reflective of the priority that he places on what he's praying for. And so again, the, the daily, normal, everyday things of life, God wants us to, to hear or wants us to say all of those things. And he wants us to bring all those things to him. And it kind of makes me think about if you've ever taught a pre-K class, you're going to get some really interesting prayer requests, right? It's going to be like, hey, my mom's brother's sister's dog's toenail got hurt last year. And if you've taught a pre-K class, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think God, in, in a way, especially with a child, like delights in those prayers. But at the same time, we need to see in God's word that there are certain things that are near and dear to the heart of God. We need to pay special attention to what God specifically shows us to pray. What is his will and his, from his word. And so we need to be praying for it like Paul with humility and reverence and intensity because this is what God is after in our lives. And so notice that intensity, but also thirdly, notice the personal nature with which he prays. There's a personal nature to this. And so let me ask you, if, if I asked you to imagine what God's look on his face is when you go to him in prayer, what are you picturing in your mind? Are you picturing kind of this cold, distant look on his face? Or are you picturing this like warm and inviting and attentive look on his face? When Paul prays, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father not just some distant being before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Another way of translating that is he's praying to the Father of all of the fathers of the families of all who believe for all of time and everywhere. That's what he's talking about. He's the Father of fathers and he cares. And so what comes to mind for me is Luke chapter 11. After Jesus takes a moment to teach his disciples to pray, he tells them a quick little parable. He tells him about this man who has a visitor that comes in late at night. And he's got no food for him, but he wants to feed him, and they've got no Taco Bell open. And so he goes to his neighbor, and he's knocking on his neighbor's door. He's trying to get his neighbor up to maybe borrow some of the food that he has. Well, what's the, what's the neighbor do? The neighbor kind of calls out. He's like, man, it's late. My family's in bed. Just go away, you know, go away. But the man persists, and he keeps knocking. And so finally, what's the neighbor do? He gets up, he gives him some food. He's like, there, take it. And so Jesus says, you gotta, you gotta be persistent in prayer. But not because God is this, the neighbor that's sleeping and he's annoyed. He's like, God is not like that. He's not saying, like, he, you know, bother him like that. He's saying, it's not a bother to our heavenly father. He's the good, loving, generous father who never sleeps and who always welcomes us in prayer. And so because of that, keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. He says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give? In Matthew 7, it says good gifts, but here in Luke 11, he says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And that's the greatest gift of all. He says, we're praying to our loving heavenly Father. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And so Paul, he's not praying to some impersonal force out there like, well, maybe it'll hear and maybe it'll care. Uh, he's praying to our good heavenly father who's personal 
and he loves us, and he wants to provide for us. And not only does he want to, but he also has the power to. Paul isn't praying, God, if you can. God, if you've got some spare change that you can kind of throw our way. He's not praying that. Look at verse 16. He says he's praying according to the riches of his glory. Can you imagine the riches of God's glory? You know, I don't think we really grasp the riches of God's love and grace and, and glory. That's all wording that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians. God is rich in all of these ways. You know, we often talk about riches in terms of dollars, right? We talk about thousands and millions and billions and all of those things. But I even think when it comes to dollar amounts, we don't quite realize how different some of these amounts are. And so I, I explained this to some of the students at EDS, I'll, and I'll, I'll explain it to you. And so I looked, uh, I looked up uh, the, some of the richest people in America, some of the richest people. And so one of those guys is Elon Musk. Yeah, he's particularly interesting to me. He's, he's a genius, and he's, he's kind of unique. And so I looked at about how much is Elon Musk worth? He's worth about $250 billion, right? $250 billion with a B. And that's an amount of money that really is hard for us to understand. And so let me explain it like this. If I were to give you a dollar every second, like one, two, three, how long do you think it would take before it reached $250 billion? You think like a year, like 10 years, 100 years? It's like, no, nah, it's not even close. It would take about 8,000 years to reach $250 billion. And that's just in the billions. If we think about in the trillions, you take our national debt, okay? Which, okay, all right. <laughs> Hit a nerve there. It's right over $30 trillion, trillion. And so if I did the same thing, a dollar every second, how long do you think it would take to reach over $30 trillion? The answer, it's about a million years. I mean, it's a number that we can hardly fathom. And Paul's going, you think a billion is a lot? You think a trillion is a lot? It ain't got nothing. When we're talking about the riches of God's glory, it's just this infinite amount. And that's what he's praying according to. There is no shortage when it comes to God's love and grace and glory. And so Paul, he's just compelled to pray. He's intensely praying to our Heavenly Father who can provide. And so if he's praying like this, then we need to pay special attention to what he's praying for. And so that's the next thing I want us to notice. Notice what he prays for, verse 16. He says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is a prayer for individual inner strength. And so think about for you, what type of strength are you working to build for yourself? Or in other words, what type of strength do you hope that when things get tough, you hope to rely on in life? Is it physical strength? Is it financial strength? Relational strength or intellectual strength? All of those things are good. All of those things are worth strengthening. But what we so often neglect or we so often fake is our inner spiritual strength. And so think about it like this. What would it look like if your physical body displayed the same level of strength that your inner being has. And what I love about this question is that I think that there are some of us here that although your physical body may not be what it once was, maybe it isn't as strong as it once was, maybe it's a little slower now, maybe it's 
there's some more aches and pains that you wake up with. Maybe there's a few more wrinkles. But if we could see the strength of your inner person, then we'd see that in the way that it matters most, you are the fittest and the strongest among us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18 says, So we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And that's one thing that, you know, at the funeral the other day, it's like hey, these bodies, they're temporary. Mr. Jimmy lived to 91 years old. That's a long and blessed life, but it's just not going to last forever. So Paul acknowledges that, though our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're just temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Our inner being, it's eternal. And so you may remember the other day, or a couple weeks ago, uh, I told a story about... My friend Jess from college, Big Jess, remember that story? He's so big and so strong, he could pick me up with one hand above his head. But the thing about Jess that was so cool was, as big and strong as he was, Jess also realized that his inner man was more important. He loved Jesus, and he loved telling people about Jesus. He still does. He's still, he's, it's just from the past, you know. Uh, he loved telling people about Jesus. In fact, that's where I first met him. It was at some event where some of the McNeese football players were given testimonies, and and he just loved telling people about Jesus. As big as strong as he was, he knew that that was more important. And he's been doing youth ministry and pastoring ever since. And, and that's an example for us to follow. That, man, no matter how strong you are in these different areas of life, like, that's all fine and good. And to God be the glory for those things. But don't neglect the inner man. That's where we need the most strength. But why? What's the purpose of all this? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in all of our hearts. Not, not just collectively, individually, all of our hearts. And so we might look at this and we might think, well, wait, hold on. If I'm a believer, isn't it already true that Christ is living in me? And the answer to that is yes. Paul's already explained that to us before. But when we think about the word dwell here, we could think about it in multiple ways. And so in one way, it could be dwelling temporarily. And so if you go on vacation and you stay in a hotel or you stay in an Airbnb or whatever, you're dwelling there maybe for a week or so. You're living there, you're dwelling there, but you're going to live there a little bit differently than you would if you live there all the time. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about temporarily. He's talking about there being a permanent residence that Christ takes up in our hearts. And so when I think about this, I think about after Noel and I got first, uh, first got married, uh, we first lived in the married dorms at McNeese. They've torn those down, and they needed to. But we lived there for a little while. Uh, but then, um, shortly after that, we began to look for a house of our own. And so we were still in college, and uh, I mean, we were, we had uh, no money. I mean, no money. I was doing youth ministry. Uh, I think she was working at Books A Million or something like that. I mean, we had nothing. So a lot of times on Sunday afternoons, we would just drive around town. We, we wanted a house downtown in the Garden District. We wanted those, one of those cool little old houses. And so we would just drive around and dream. And we would look at all these, you know, cute little houses and think, oh, man, what would it be like to have a house like that? And so one afternoon, we were driving down a road that we liked, and we noticed tacked on a tree was this little for sale sign on this house. 
And that's really all that we could see because the house, like all the trees and all the bushes were so overgrown that you couldn't see the house at all. And so we thought, oh man, you know, we kind of looked behind the bushes and the trees and everything. It's like, that's, this house has some potential to it, right? And so I called the number. And sure enough, it was actually a house that we could afford because the guy who bought it, he bought it after Hurricane Rita and started to do some work on it and either got tired or ran out of money or whatever. And so there was a lot of work to do. But that meant it was affordable for us. And so we eventually bought the house and we moved in and we got to work. And so we were cutting down trees and we we're removing bushes and doing landscaping and repainting the house. And man, there were like 20 something these original wood windows on the house that I had scraped and sanded and painted and, and all those things. And we had to put in a whole new kitchen in the house. They didn't even have a kitchen in the house. So we were doing all these different things in the house. Why? Because it was our house, right? I didn't want to come and leave it as is. I wanted to fix it up and I wanted to improve it and I wanted to renovate it. And so we were making this house our home. If this was just a rental house, if it was just a vacation house, I wasn't going to do all that work. I wasn't going to invest all of that time and work into that house. And that's the idea that Paul's talking about here. Is when it comes to our hearts, it's not supposed to be just some temporary place that Jesus can visit from time to time. He's talking about, I want to have this permanent residence in your heart. And when Jesus does, he's not going to come in and just leave it as is. He's going to come in because he loves us, because that's his now home. He's going to come and he's going to begin to do some work and he's going to renovate and he's going to restore all these broken places in our lives. That's what Paul is praying for, that God would come in, that Christ would come in and live in our hearts. And so he's, he's praying for that. He's praying for our inner strength to be experienced individually, but not only individually. He also prays that it would be experienced collectively. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love, that draws us back to the foundation of our unity. That's in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. He's talking about, here's how it all started for you. It started, you were chosen in Christ and predestined in love. That's the foundation. That's the root of us being together. And so knowing that, he says, verse 18, I'm praying that you might have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and in depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so there's this implication here that we're going to be limited in our understanding of God if we're disconnected from the Christian community of the church. And so I think about John 15, verse 10. There's this moment where Jesus is, is teaching his disciples. He's, he's about to go to the cross. He's hours from the cross. And he's spending time with his disciples and and he's telling them that if they'll keep his commandments, then they'll abide in his love. That means they'll remain, that they'll have the continued experience of the love of Christ that they had been enjoying for the past few years. And then he says that his commandment for them to follow is to love one another as I have loved you. And so that makes sense if you think about it, that if they love one another as Christ loved them, then they'll have the continued experience of his love. And have you ever thought about it like that? Have you ever thought that we can know the love of Christ through the way that we love one another? Disconnected from Christian community in the church, we're going to be limited in our experience of Christ's love. And so that's what Paul is praying for us. He's praying that the love of Christ would be more than just an idea and more than just a philosophy to us, but that we'd be able to grasp 
that the love of Christ is substantive and real and dimensional. You know, I heard it said that you can see how wide a river is by how much it covers over. And God's love is so expansive that it covers over the canyon of our sin. It's wide enough to include every person. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And it's high enough to take us to heaven. The song that we're going to sing later on in the service has these lyrics. It says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were with skies of parchment made, were every tree on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels song. Amen. Paul says that this love of God, that it even surpasses all knowledge. And that's the paradox to this all. He says, you know, it surpasses knowledge. I want you to comprehend, he says, the love of God, but oh, it actually surpasses all knowledge. And so if it does, then how can we comprehend it? Why would he say for us to understand it in this way? It's because he's not praying for us to, to learn just some head knowledge about God that we can describe and explain. He's talking about this personal and experiential knowledge of the love of Christ. And so if you've ever seen the, the sunset over the Rocky Mountains, which for me is just my personal favorite, or if you've ever experienced the love that you have for your own child, which for me is kind of the closest thing to unconditional love, if you've ever experienced beautiful things like that, then you know that that is more real and more true to you than any list of facts that you can memorize. That's what Paul's praying for here. And so as important as theology is, God doesn't want us to, want us to stop there in faith. He wants us to personally and experientially know his love. This is the point of our lives and the point of our salvation. Jesus says that eternal life, it's more than just the pearly gates, and it's more than the streets of gold, and it's more than the crystal seas. He says eternal life in John 17, 3, is actually knowing him. That's what eternal life is. It's knowing him. And so the question is for us, do you know him? Do you know him? Because that's what we're created for. That longing in your heart that you can't satisfy, that you can't shake, no matter how much money you make, no matter how many likes you get on Instagram, no matter how hard you try to live a good life, that, that longing that you have in your heart can only be satisfied with him. You know, the enemy, it's working so hard to just keep us distracted and to keep us entertained by lesser things. But we were created for more. We weren't created just to make a bunch of money. We were created to know him. And so in the pursuit of you knowing Jesus, you make a bunch of money, then great, that's fine, use it for his glory. But that's not what you're created for. You're created to know him. We weren't created to be successful. If you're successful as you're pursuing after Jesus and knowing him, then that's awesome, use it for his glory. But we were created to know him. 
We weren't even created to, to have a family. We weren't created for that specifically. But if you've got a family and you have kids, and raise that family well and love your family for the glory of God and point them to Jesus and all of those things. But that's not the ultimate purpose of your life. The ultimate purpose is for you to have an experiential knowledge of Jesus. This is what Paul is praying for. And it's to what extent? He says, verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what God is at work doing among us. And remember, this is in context of community. Ephesians 1.23 says, we're his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in chapter 2, verse 22, the church is the dwelling place of God, living not only individually, but also collectively among us. We're the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And so, in other words, God is working among us to make sure that we are more like the one who is truly the fullness of God. We're more like Jesus Christ. And so I hope this morning that we're not here together just because we have a similar preference on how a church service should be. And I hope we're not here together because we like how good the band is. And I hope we're not here together because we think the building is nice and it's a good place for us to gather together. I hope that the reason why we're here is because we want to know Jesus together. And that together we want to experience the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound so like something that's worth pursuing? Not those lesser things, not those things that while they may be fine and important, isn't that worth pursuing? That's what Paul is praying for, and that's what God is after in our lives, knowing him and experiencing the fullness of him. That's what we should be praying for as a church. You know, but maybe sometimes we feel like, oh, we could pray for this, but I don't know if God's going to actually do it. But the thing is, we've got to remember, we're not just throwing up some wishes. We are praying God's will from his word. And so we can pray this with confidence expectation. That's how Paul is praying. That's the fifth thing I want us to notice. Notice the confidence with which he prays. Look at verse 20. He says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Paul says, no matter how I could have worded this, it didn't matter what I could have said here. If I would have worded it just right, use the perfect words, whatever. He says, it doesn't matter because God can do far more abundantly than I can ask or think. And this is true of every promise in Ephesians, and it's true of every promise in the Bible. And why is that? Because when God does more than we ask or think, then only he can get the glory. And that's the last thing we need to notice from this prayer. It's the ultimate purpose. Look at verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That includes us forever and ever Amen. That's the ultimate purpose. And I know that praying for this ultimate purpose of God's glory, that really, if you think about it, it can be a scary thing for us. Because if we're praying this, it might mean that we're not the ultimate priority of our prayers. And so that might mean at times that we might have to go through difficulty for God to receive glory. But even in the midst of that, we're going to stand on the promise of Romans 8 that God works together all things for our good. So we're just going to embrace whatever comes our way because we want the reward of knowing Christ Jesus. Like John Piper's famous for saying, God is most glorified in us 
when we're, more, when we're most satisfied in him. And so think about the ultimate purpose for this prayer, the ultimate purpose for the church, the ultimate purpose for everything in existence. He says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's our prayer. And so now as we come to a close to the message, if, if you're looking for a list of application points from this passage, other than to just pray like this, then, then you're not going to get it because that's not the point of his prayer here. The point of his prayer is that we need God to work to do this in us. We need God to do what only God can do. And so what we're going to do, our response is to just simply pray. And so we're going to have a few moments to just reflect on this prayer and for you individually to look at and pray through this prayer. So I would encourage if you don't have a Bible open, open it up, find Ephesians 3, look at this passage, and let's just take a few moments to pray through this prayer on our own. And so maybe for you, you know, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you, after hearing this, hearing about knowing Jesus, maybe you realize for the first time you don't really know Jesus. And so I'm praying for you that you would realize your need for Jesus. And when you do, you would turn from your sin and you would trust in Christ and you would begin to follow him. And then you would experience what it's like to really know him. And then there's probably a chance also that there are some of us here this morning that maybe you've got a lot of head knowledge. You can list a lot of things about God, but maybe you would say, man, I don't, I don't know if I really have ever had a personal experiential relationship with him. And so what I would tell you this morning is that is exactly what God is after with you. It's exactly what he wants, and that can begin today. And so wherever you are, I want to remind you that during our time of prayer, the altar is going to be open. There'll be some pastors in the front. I would love to pray for you. I would love to talk to you more about what it can actually look like to begin to follow Jesus in your everyday life and experience his love in your everyday life because I'm telling you, once you do, you're going to be addicted to it. It's the greatest thing in life. It's the only thing that, satisfy that lo- satisfies that longing in our hearts. It's the only thing. So all those things you're pursuing after, all those things that you realize, no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I get, it's just not doing it for me. That's because you're not created for that. That wasn't the original intention of your life. You're created to know Christ Jesus. You're created to know God. That's the only thing that will provide any satisfaction for you. And so if you want to talk about that, if you want prayer for that, I'd love to pray for you. But more than anything, let's go to the Father. That's who we're praying to. Praying confidently with expectation that he's going to answer this prayer, that he's going to you know, put the, and work the Holy Spirit's power in our life and in our hearts. He's going to come and he's going to live inside of us and he's going to dwell and he's going to make all things new. And so if you would, bow your heads with me as we pray and let's just invite the Holy Spirit to work. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts right now as we pray and reflect on your word. We trust the promise of Romans 5, chapter 5, that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so what we're asking for is the realization from it, of it, and we're asking for just a more, more of an experience of it. We want to know your love more and more. Come in, help us to have an experience with you. Help us to know you deeper than just head knowledge. Holy Spirit, we ask right now to give us that inner strength that we need. Grow in us faith. 
grown us a love for one another. Help a big part of this experience to be the, the way that we love one another. God, we confess that so often we pursue after other things. So often in the church, we pursue after secondary things. So we confess that to you. We admit that so often we completely lose sight that this is all about your glory. That the greatest way that we can, that you can receive glory is for you to do this profound, life-changing work in us. It's when we know you, everything changes, God. Everything changes when we know you. So when good times come, we give you glory for it. When difficulty comes, we we give you glory for it and we remain faithful. When you call us to difficult things, when you call us to sacrifice for the sake of the nations, when we know you, we don't question that. We just want to go. We'll give up anything to follow you. Help us to be those people. Help us to be that kind of a church. We're just laser focused on your love. God, now in these next few moments, would you just continue to speak to our hearts?